You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. morning. What a beautiful day out there. Can I have an amen? How many of you going to do something outside today? Really? Only some of you? Come on. Let's all get outside today. We need it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm ready for weather like this. And then my wife burst my bubble and told me that we're expecting snow on Thursday. Like, I'm like, no, it can't happen again. Can it? Well, God's in charge, even of the weather. I'd like to be in charge of the weather. If you're a guest this morning, um, one of the things, uh, by the way, my name's Mike Bickley, and I serve Jesus on staff here. And one of the things that we do as a church, we're highly committed to the Bible. Um, The the phrase Bible in the name of our church is, is for a very good and historic reason as a church. The people that started our church uh, left a church that had decided to abandon the Bible as the basis of their faith, and it began to follow what the world was saying about God. And so we as a church take uh, the Bible very seriously. We kind of see it as God's field manual given to you and I so that in his word he conveys to us his will and his ways. And so on Sunday mornings when we gather, we're not only singing about God, we're not only praying to God, we're listening to God to teach us about his will and his ways as he's conveyed them in his word. And this morning we're in the fourth gospel, John. If you were to open the New Testament, it would begin with Matthew and then go to Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the gospels written to teach us about the life and teaching uh, and the work of Jesus Christ. So we're in John chapter 1 and 2, and in John chapter 1 and 2, we're covering basically one week in the life of Jesus as he's being presented uh, to the world. And it begins in, after the introduction to the gospel in verse 19 with John the Baptist engaging in his ministry. And then in day two, he points out who Jesus is as the Lamb of God. And then in day three, what we looked at last week, uh, Jesus um, uh, encounters Andrew and Peter. And then today, we want to look at verses 43 through uh, 51. And so we're kind of continuing along with the theme that we've covered last week. So last week, we, we talked about the changes that take place when someone finds Jesus and chooses to follow Jesus. And we kind of identified four changes from those verses. And we said one is a change of content. There are all these titles of Jesus used in chapter 1, 15 different titles. And so now we are having revealed to us who Jesus is, where he comes from, and what he's going to do. And so the content of our faith, what we believe, our beliefs, should change to align with God's revelation. But not only that, second, there's a change that takes place when someone moves from just knowledge about something to engagement with someone. And the Bible 
uh, talks about being born again. We're going to read about that in chapter 3. And that's a huge concept that we need to be made new. We need to be forgiven, and we need to have our heart changed. And that's a work God does inside of us. And then third, as a result of that, there's a new conformity. We no longer want to be like the world. We, we no wonder, longer want to be like the people of the world. We want to become like Jesus. And so while we're on this earth, we're in a journey where we are becoming more like Jesus. You all remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? And that's actually a, a great idea to talk to ourselves about. What would Jesus think about this situation? How would Jesus behave in this moment? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? And then lastly, we talked about a new concern. With our hearts changed and we're experiencing the peace and the forgiveness of God, finding meaning and purpose for our lives, we want to help others experience the exact same. And so today, in verses 43 through 51, we kind of have this theme of, of continuing, of finding Jesus, following Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And really, this idea of the gospel spreading person to person is really one of the big themes of the whole gospel of John. He uses the word witness all throughout his gospel to talk about you and I kind of like we are giving testimony in the court of public opinion about what we know is true of Jesus. Not only what God says of Jesus, but what we experience of Jesus. And so this morning, um, from our passage, I want to give you four principles um, that we discover from people that find and follow Jesus. And they're pretty simple principles, and, and I hope uh, that they will encourage you. Um, and I think that uh, from my perspective, um, we're going to do a little advanced Bible study methods here this morning in just a moment. But until then, I, I just want to remind you, how many of you set up dominoes when you were a kid and tried to make that, that, that the different crazy designs where the dominoes would all fall over? How many of you have at least seen one of those crazy videos, right, of where they're all falling over? And, and it's the idea that there's this chain reaction. One domino hits another domino, hits another domino, hits another domino, and, and then eventually all of the dominoes fall. And that's a perfect picture of what John is trying to convey in this first chapter. He's trying to convey to us this idea that it, the gospel impacts one person who impacts another person who impacts another person who impacts another person. So let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into our verses for this morning. God, I pray that you would um, help us to understand clearly um, your word, but more than that, that we, Lord, would seek to apply it to our lives. I pray for people wherever they are in their spiritual journey this morning. Holy Spirit, you take your word and apply it to their life circumstances and show them what you want them to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to verse 43, the first couple of verses in our passage. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So I'm going to do a little bit of something um, that's a little challenging this morning. So there's kind of uh, two categories of people here. If if you're new to the Bible, um, then I just want you to be patient with me. Because you may not understand everything I'm about to do, or it may not connect with you really well. All right? And if you're a seasoned saint, get ready. I want to show you some things about understanding translations and understanding interpretation so that you'll be better equipped as you read your Bible and you study your Bible and you try to apply your Bible. Now, I think most of you know that the Bible is basically, in the Old Testament, Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament, it's Greek. And what we've done is we've taken those original manuscripts, we have copies, we don't have the actual originals, but we have copies dating back very close to the source years, and we have thousands of them to compare. So we have about a 99%, greater than 99% accuracy of knowing the actual words of the original manuscripts just using reconstruction techniques they use for all works of antiquity, the science of manuscript study. And so this is a couple of pictures uh, of a Greek manuscript. Uh, The one on your left is a Greek manuscript written in all capital letters, and the one on the right is one written in all lowercase letters. How many of you can read that? No. How many of you does it look like English? No. Where is the grammar? The punctuations, the quotation marks, the question marks. Where is all that? Well, it's not there the way you would see it or I would see it. So translation is taking the principles uh, of word meaning and grammar and translating from one language to another. Now, in, in doing that, sometimes you have to make decisions. And one of the decisions that has to be made translating the Bible or interpreting the Bible is to identify who is the person that belongs to a certain pronoun. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? So if you're reading along and the Bible says, he said, you have to figure out who the he is or the she is if it says she said. And so in verse 43, I'm going to go back. It says the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Actually, the word Jesus is not in that part of the verse. The English Standard Version, the New International Version, and the King James Version took the pronoun that was there, he, and they inserted the name Jesus there because actually in the sentence where after it says he found Philip, and it actually says in the original, Jesus said to him, follow me. So what they did in the English Standard Version is they followed the King James, and they inserted the name Jesus earlier in the verse as a way for them to determine who the pronoun belongs to. How many of you are following me? Okay. Anybody confused? So let me give it to you in the New American Standard Version where they don't translate 
the pronouns. They leave them for you to decide. And I have put them in the lower case because in Greek, there's no capitalization that takes place of words like you and I would capitalize pronouns if we think they belong to God or don't belong to God. So the next day, he, first pronoun, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And there's a punctuation in the New American Standard, a period there because there's a pause in the Greek text. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So now we have Jesus introduced here. But typically, to determine who these he's belong to, you would go back to verse 42. You wouldn't go down further in verse 43. Everybody following me, okay? Now, the King James used Jesus, so most translators didn't want to take issue with the King James, and they kept that in there. So if we go back to verse 42, we're going to identify three different people in the text. Verse 42, the first he brought him to Jesus. So we have three people in verse 42 that could be the he of verse 43. Everybody following me? You good? You with me? All right. So the first he here, if you go back a couple of verses, you will find this is Andrew. And he brought him, which is Peter. He's called Simon Peter earlier in the text to Jesus. So we have three choices. The he of verse 42, I mean 43, in those two he's could be Andrew, could be Simon, or they could be Peter. Now, in making this determination, you consider grammar and you consider the context of the author. So, if I look at the movement of John's story, his narrative, in the first chapter, so far, he identified John the Baptist. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to two of his disciples, Andrew and another one not named. Then Andrew, in the passage we saw last week, goes and gets Simon Peter. And now, in this section, we saw that after, after whoever that he is goes and gets Philip. Are you guys following me? So we have a flow of the good news from John the Baptist to Andrew, from Andrew to Peter, and from uh, blank, he, to Philip. So now what we want to do is we want to look down a little further and see if there's any information in the text that might help us to better understand this flow of the story and which of the three characters it might be that is introducing Philip to Jesus. Now, it could be Jesus introducing Philip to Jesus, but it could be Andrew and it could be Peter. So it says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So the next person that would be included in the story is Philip is going to go and get Nathanael. Are you all following me? 
So there's a very set flow here in the text from John the Baptist to Andrew, from Andrew to Peter, from someone to Philip, and from Philip to Nathaniel. Now, is there anything else in the text that might give us a clue about who should be that pronoun? In verse 44, we get a very interesting piece of localized family history information. All three of these guys, Philip, Andrew, and Peter, grew up in the same town. So I think whoever it was that really wanted to go get Philip is probably one of these two guys, Andrew or Peter. That would make the most sense. They wanted to go back to Galilee, go back to their hometown, and they wanted to introduce the Messiah to their friends. And I think that's what's taking place here. So if we were to follow that logic, then from my perspective, Peter becomes the winner in the story for this reason. We have a flow of person to person to person to person to person. In one week, we have five generations of people coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, as their Messiah, the King of Israel, the Son of God. And so it makes the most sense to me in the story that, that Jesus is getting introduced to everybody, but the others are introducing Jesus to their friends, to their family, to the people they grew up with. You're not going to believe who I found. You're not going to believe what's happened. Does that make sense to you guys? So I, I actually think the best choice here is Peter. Um, just so you'll know, scholars are divided on this. Um, and uh, translations are divided on this. And here's the good news. None of our doctrine is dependent upon this. You still got to follow Jesus. He's still the Savior. There's no doubt who's Jesus in this text. And there's no doubt that everybody in the text, Peter, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, are coming to find out who Jesus is alongside John the Baptist. You guys with me? But here's, here's what I think the principle is. The gospel spreads best life on life. I think that's what John's trying to communicate here in the end of chapter one, is what is the natural way that the gospel should spread in a community? It's not by you and I buying a van, putting big speakers on it, putting placards on it, and driving around town, preaching down the city streets. It's each one of us with our friends, our relatives, our coworkers, our neighbors, our teammates, the people in the club we are at, the PTO we belong to, the fitness center we go to. It's you and I engaging with people life on life. And then sharing about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how that's changed your life. And this is, again, one of the dominant themes that takes place in the, uh, in the gospel uh, of John. Is this idea of bearing witness to the one who's changed your life. And so the gospel spreads Life on life. It's a chain reaction. By the way, you don't need a theological degree to tell someone about Jesus. These guys are sharing what they found as soon as they found it. And it's a beautiful picture of introducing others to Jesus.
And so I want to encourage you. We've got our one conference coming up next Sunday from 5.30 to 8.30. And simply what we want to do is inspire you to have a, a one you're praying for and seeking to reach someone you want to introduce to Jesus because you love them and you're concerned for them. And not only do we want to inspire, inspire you, we're going to give you some practical training on how you can engage them in conversation, how you can pray for them, how you can answer their questions, how you can share your story, how you can present the gospel. And you'll have options of workshops that you can choose from that best fit your needs that day. And so I want to strongly urge you to uh, come to the One Conference next Sunday. I'm super excited. I think we already have 100 people from our church signed up. I don't know how many from Lenexa Baptist are signed up yet, but we're really excited about it. All right, let me go to the second principle. Look with me at verse 46. Now, after uh, Philip tells him, hey, I found the guy. I found the one that all the prophets wrote about, the Messiah. I found the one that the law pointed to, the one who would fulfill the law, the one who would become the perfect sacrifice. I found that guy. He says, you got to come meet him. And, and he's, from, he's, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, <clears throat> that would be... I'm trying to think what state is 50th on the states in America for worst economy. Is it Mississippi? Anybody know? It used to be Arkansas, but then fortunately somebody fell below them. And so, so, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like what, what, what Nathaniel, when he says it's Jesus of, when Philip says it's Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel goes, whoa. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? The way you might say it today is, hey, you know, Nazareth is the armpit of Israel. You know, like it's 50th on the cities, like it's last. And not, and not only that, but we know that there are many prophecies about the Messiah, hundreds of them in the Old Testament, and none of them are connected specifically with Nazareth. And so, this, so he's, thinking, he's thinking, hey, look, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know who you found. But if he's from Nazareth, there's nothing. Nazareth is nothing. How can you say the Messiah comes out of Nazareth? By the way, how could God descend to earth? How could God clothe himself in humanity? Actually, coming from Nazareth fits pretty good with the story. And Philip said to him, look, come and see. Come and see. Just come check it out for yourself, Nathaniel. You're a skeptic. You've always been a skeptic. But you're on a journey, and you're an honest skeptic. Come on, man. Just come. Check it out for yourself. Ask him your questions. Put him to the test. See if he really is who he says he is. And then you can make your own judgment. But just Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, you and I read that, and, and for most of us, if we're not, like if we don't have the Old Testament running through our mind, we're going to read that. It's just going to sound like some Old Testament language. But there's a very large play on words going here. 
Because Jacob is the guy who got renamed Israel. Do you guys remember that in the Old Testament? And, and Israel means one who seeks and, and wrestles with God. And Jacob means deceiver. So he's pointing to Nathaniel and he's saying, you're not like the guy Jacob who was the deceiver who relied upon his cunning to get his way. You're like the guy that got changed into Israel, someone who's wrestling and seeking the truth about God. And Nathaniel said to him, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know what's going on in my mind? How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, you and I read that, and I want to connect some dots for you, first of all. One thing, in the Old Testament, fig trees were associated with a place that someone would go to under the hot Middle Eastern sun to take a rest or specifically to go to to pray, to take a season of prayer, maybe in the middle of the day, or to contemplate uh, scriptures, to meditate, to run them over in their minds and use them as a basis for prayer. And there's probably a good chance that's exactly what Nathaniel had been doing. And Nathaniel had probably even been wrestling with the idea of Jacob in Genesis 28, where he encounters God at Bethel, when he's on his journey to go meet his brother Esau. And he's He's wrestling with God to get his blessing so that the, the promises to Abraham would come true. And he's saying, he's saying, before Philip called you, before Philip brought you, when you were under that fig tree, when you were being a true Israelite, wrestling with God, I saw you. I know what's going on inside of your heart. And this brings me to our second principle. Honest skeptics will find honest answers. You know, so many times somebody has given somebody a perception of Jesus that they never checked out for themselves. You've heard it before. Oh, Jesus, he's a made-up person. He's not a person of history. Have you checked it out for yourself? Have you looked at all of the extra-biblical references to Jesus? Or do you just take it by fact because somebody else said it? Oh, you know, Jesus, man, he's not really a miracle worker. Like, no, he can't do miracles. Man, miracles never happen. I got news for you. Have you checked it out? Do you know? Does God do miracles? Can I have an amen? amen. He does, doesn't he? But you've got to evaluate that for yourself. Are there prophecies in the Old Testament given hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus that were specifically fulfilled in the life of Jesus? And do you know the statistical basis for how many of those have been fulfilled and how rare that would be? 
You know, somebody once said, all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament, if you filled the state of Texas three feet deep with silver dollars, and you threw one gold dollar out in the middle of the state of Texas, and you swirled it all around, and then you took one person, and you dropped them out of an airplane with a parachute, and they fell somewhere into the state of Texas, the first coin they picked up, if it was the gold dollar, That would be the chance that Jesus fulfilled everything. One in a whole bunch. See, honest skeptics, if they really dig like a detective until they get to the bottom of the truth, will find the answers they need. So if you're here or you're watching online and you're a skeptic, we invite you, come on this journey. We believe The evidence is there, and we believe God himself will present himself to you in a way that you can't deny. So we have these two things so far, that good news spreads life on life, and honest skeptics find honest answers. Let's look for our third principle from this text. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, so that's teacher, it's a, it's a word of respect, but now he takes it a level deeper, a level higher, a level more intense. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, when you and I see those two phrases, we may not, again, if you study thoroughly through the Old Testament, you, you will find this idea that the Son of God is a phrase that's used to speak of, um, to uh, identify the one unique Messiah, the, the one who would come that, that would be God in the flesh, is the way that you and I talk about it. And then he says, you are the king of Israel. David was promised that there would be an heir to his throne for every generation, and ultimately, the final heir, the everlasting heir who would rule and reign forever and ever would be the one that's the Messiah. And in Psalm chapter 2, one of the key Old Testament Testament messianic psalms that the Jews looked to spoke these two things together— the son and the king, and that he would be the one who would rule and reign, and he would be the one who would judge and bring justice to our earth. And so this third principle is really simple. Once you come to a conviction about who Jesus is, it's time to make a confession about who Jesus is. And so the first thing that you and I should do when we come to the conviction of who Jesus is, we should make a public declaration. And probably no better place to do that is after you come to faith, you should get into the baptismal, you should go under the water showing people how Christ has washed you clean, how he has paid for your sins. You have died with him in his death, and then you come out of that water, and you've been raised to walk in a newness of life, and you're demonstrating to the whole world your soul is under new management. You have a Savior, you have a Lord, and he's ruling and reigning in your life. And that's why when we baptize people, we announce the name of God over them to declare the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
as the ones who are ruling over that person's life. Amen? And so if you've never done that, it's time to do that. You need to make a public declaration. You know, Paul in Romans 10 says that we not only need to believe in our heart, but we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And man, I can just tell you that when I, after I came to faith and I came home, it was the summer uh, uh, between my sophomore and junior year when I came to faith in Christ. I'd been on a journey for three years. By the way, this week I heard of a guy that's been attending our church on and off for six years who just gave his life to Christ. And he's been on a journey for six years. And there may be some of you in here on that journey. We welcome that. But we, we want to encourage you, when you come to a conviction, make a confession. Identify yourself with it. And, and, and that's just a, such an important thing to do. And I remember coming back in the beginning of my junior year, like I, I, got, I found a church that I could join for, for, for growth. And I, I, I found uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes um, as a place I could go to to identify with other students and get to know them. And then I began to tell all the people in my sphere of influence what God had done for me. And some of them listened and some of them laughed um, and, you know, made fun of me. And, and others have just said, dude, I don't want to hear about it ever, like, again. I, I met this one girl uh, at, at school, had become a believer, and we, there were a group of us that kind of hung out. And she wore a, a, a light bulb around her neck. And, and I asked her one day, you know, why are you wearing a light bulb around your neck? And she goes, Jesus is the light of the world. And she goes, people will ask me, why are you wearing a light bulb? And I'll say, have you met Jesus? He's the light of the world. I can introduce you to him. Now, I'm not saying that, okay? That's, to me, that's a little weird. Do I, have a, do I have a little amen back out there, right? But I can tell you one thing was sure. Absolute, she was a changed person by Jesus Christ. And she was willing to be a fool for Christ's sake. And she took sharing the message of hope and publicly identifying as a follower of Jesus to a new level. And I think all of us get so much stronger when we confess with our mouth what's happened inside our heart. And so, the good news spreads best life on life. Honest skeptics will find honest answers. And third, when we come to a conviction, we should make a public declaration. And now our fourth principle at the end of our passage, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than this. You think that was special. Have I got news for you? And then I think he continues using the illustration that, that he, uh, Nathaniel might, did I say Philip? Nathaniel might have been focused on. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, not to the earth, as it talks about in Genesis 18 with Jacob's ladder and the vision that he saw but ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And I think what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, what I just did with you, you thought that was special. But 
remember Jacob and when that ladder opened up, that staircase to heaven. By the way, after that vision, he named the place where he was camping Bethel, which means gate of heaven. And, and what Jesus is really saying here to him is, hey, you think that place was special, and you think what was happening there was special. Well, there's someone here who's greater than Jack, Jacob, and there's a revelation about to happen that's greater than angels ascending and descending from the heaven to the earth. Greater things are about to happen that are going to blow your mind. And that leads us to our fourth principle. Do you believe the best is yet to come? Do you believe the best is yet to come? You know, what's really interesting is the gospel of John opens up with this idea of the greater things that will happen in the coming of Jesus, in the work that he will do. But it ends with an emphasis on the fact that they are to continue persisting until he returns. Because the best is yet to come. You know, the best isn't finding peace isn't finding salvation right now. It isn't just being forgiven for your sins. One day, you and I are going to be in the presence of God. One day, you and I are going to rule and reign with Jesus in his kingdom. Do you believe the best is yet to come? From the very beginning of your salvation to the very fulfillment of Christ's return to this earth and then the making of the new heavens and this earth, do you believe the best is yet to come? When you wake up in the morning, no matter what affliction you are in, no matter what pain you are facing, no matter what crisis or disaster is coming your way in this broken, sin-infested world, do you believe... The best is yet to come. We do. Amen. Amen. See, the best is still ahead. Even as great as it is, the peace, the answered prayers, the miracles, the things God has done, the things we're hoping God will do. Let me tell you, the best, the greater things are still to come. Not just Christ coming to earth. Not just Christ dying on a cross. Not just Christ raising from the dead. Not just Christ ascending to the right hand of the Father where he's interceding for each of us every day. Not just that, but he's coming back. And he's going to bring justice. And he's going to bring the final fulfillment of all the yearnings that are yet complete within our souls. And we will be with him for all eternity. The best is yet to come. The most hopeful people on this earth ought to be us. We ought to be living with a sense of optimism, knowing that whatever is going on here is not the final word. And the best is yet to come. So church, let's spread the hope of Christ life on life. If you're here and you're a skeptic, if you're watching us online and you're a skeptic, just be an honest skeptic. If you need help answering your questions, let us know. We'd love to do that. And when you move to a place of conviction, make a confession. Make a public declaration. 
get baptized. And then let's live as if the best is yet to come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you um, for your goodness and your grace and uh, your love. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us and for us being able to experience that. And uh, God, now as we prepare to take communion, help us to think through this, to think through using our life to impact others' lives in the way that you gave your life to impact our life. And help us, Lord, if we've been stuck in the mud of this world to get our eyes above the current trial to the expectation of the fulfillment of all your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.